0: Welcome back to another episode of HPG Engage, the podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Grace Larson. Um, How are you today, Grace?
1: I'm really well. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you very much for sitting down with me. Um, So just to introduce um, Grace to everyone. Grace is a director of her own company called Peds. She's a clinical nurse specialist, and she's also a senior nurse educator for MedCast. And with that, she also helps to develop pediatric content for MedCast as well. that's a lot there you seem to be a, a busy woman with it um, so it does so, so sound many like things. a lot when you say it like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I, was, I was reading when it, it earlier it I, <laughs> I was reading it earlier and i was thinking uh, how has she got time to sit down with us today but you do <laughs> we, we, maybe we that's why in. i'm
1: in my car yeah
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> just fitting it in, into that busy schedule but um yeah but First of all, let's, that's a, quite a, a list of things that you're doing there and, and it all seems to fall under one Im- umbrella of paediatrics. Um, yeah. let's, let's take it all the way back, let's go back to the beginning of your career and your background. What actually made you decide to finish in high school thinking I'm going to go and study to be a nurse?
1: Yeah, well, look, I suppose if we go all the way back, um, I actually was not going to become a nurse leaving high school. My mum was a nurse. And so I think you sometimes just automatically rule things out, you know, when your parents do certain professions sometimes. Um, but there was, I had an experience when I was working in my job that I was doing um, alongside attending high school where I had a um, colleague um, experience a chemical burn in her eye and I helped her manage that. And I think I realised in that moment all of these sort of skills that I'd Um, sort of developed through osmosis probably from my mum and that I felt like uh, helping somebody in that moment when they were really quite afraid and um, you know when something had happened to them um, I I realised I had like these skills that Uh, were really important um and I felt uh really satisfied at the end of it like you know I really could help her and I made her feel reassured and it made me realize that I probably was a pretty good candidate to then go on and do nursing um so yeah so I applied to do nursing and um yeah I went into my undergraduate um actually thinking that maybe I would follow um the psych pathway and become a psych nurse but obviously that's not where I ended up
0: <laughs> it's, it's definitely not where you ended up And in <laughs> terms of in terms of that experience where you helped out the colleague and um, with that burn was it then that moment that you kind of decided or was were there other instances throughout life leading up to the point of making the decision that you're like you thought okay maybe this is maybe this is for me
1: No, I actually really feel like that was my pivotal moment, like, interestingly. I think that I hadn't really even entertained the thought of nursing prior to that point. So. Um, yeah, like I hadn't really ever envisaged myself in that role. So I think it was very much like that exact moment that afterwards I sort of came away and, you know, I was actually in year 12. Um, so, you know, I'd had I'd aligned all of my subjects up to go on and study psychology, actually. Um, so it was in that moment where I was like, oh, hold on a second. Maybe I'll explore nursing and see, you know, whether that's something um, that, uh, I want to do and you know because my mum was a nurse and she used to manage a aged care unit like our school holidays were spent um, with her in that unit you know like I would help you know feed the residents their um, breakfast lunch and dinner I would have a chat with them I'd hear their stories and so it probably was like underneath it all I had a lot of like these experiences which meant that when I had this one situation happen to me it was sort of like oh aha yeah that makes sense why don't we go into this career so yeah
0: Amazing. And then what was, um, what was your experience like studying to be a nurse at university?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, as I said, like I was going to do psych nursing because I suppose I'd set myself up, you know, to do psychology. So it sort of made sense. Oh, you know, maybe I'll get into this area and then I'm marrying up those two interests. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting for me. Like when I went and did my rotation um, in psych, I actually realised that I found it really difficult and um, was unlikely to probably be able to do that career like in that area like very long term Um, I could see that I would probably burn out in that area very quickly Um, so I wasn't really quite sure what I would do and so I just was sort of going along and you know going to all my rotations you know going to the medical wards and the surgical wards and going yeah this is okay yeah I enjoy this I like the structure of nursing I like the time you know management side of it um i like being busy <laughs> we've sort of maybe already identified <laughs> makes sense, um, makes so, <laughs> sense. <laughs> um yeah so i was sort of like oh i'm sure i'll figure out where i want to go you know you grad year you go through rotations you know i'm sure i'll figure it out but actually in my last year of nursing um someone pulled out of their pediatric rotation um, and i did my last year actually at a rural hospital so they at the last minute said hey can you go and do your last six months in the pediatric ward please and I was like, "Oh. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, sure, I'll go to Peds. Yeah, why not." Um and I just found my home. Like I was like like I just was like, this is wonderful. I really love this. And, and again, I don't know why I hadn't thought about that because, you know, I've always really enjoyed, um, working with children. Um, so again, it was like a bit of an aha moment for me. Oh, this is actually something that I really enjoy doing, um, within that scope of nursing. So, um, so yeah, I decided to stay on in the pediatric ward within my graduate year and, you know, obviously develop that a bit further. So Yeah. It was good. It really, you know, those rotations really helped me find my place. I think, yeah. And
0: I, and I guess that is a that's a part of the whole experience when you are going through nursing school. It is to put you in different different positions and different experiences, so you can then make a better. A better decision when you're graduating of what you actually kind of want to specialise in. Obviously, yours mm. seems to have just fallen to more of a serendipity. It just it's just by <laughs> it chance. Does seem that way, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> just by chance that uh, your yeah. last six months, this person wasn't there, and they're like, okay, you're just gonna mm. stay here for six months, and you turn out to to um to love it. And it's it's crazy to think that maybe if you didn't get those six months, how your life could have been different. Oh,
1: totally. In a yeah, from a career knows? standpoint,
0: you may not have. Mm as we will talk about later on in the podcast about your business that may not have even been a thought in your mind because you wouldn't have mm. been seeing firsthand the problem that you're now fixing um so once you graduated and you then started working in the children's hospital um what was i guess the experience there like for you and then also i guess l- touching on your career progression through nursing as just uh, i guess a registered nurse and then being promoted into education roles and stuff like that
1: yeah um so again look I think I've really I think probably like as you say some of it's serendipitous and some of it's like I think I'm the type of person that says yes to things a lot like when people give me suggestions like hey you know I was in this pediatric ward you know in a small country town and um you know one of the nurses said hey why don't you go to Melbourne and work in the paediatric intensive care unit and I was like yeah great idea let's go let's move to Melbourne so that's sort of what I did yeah um and uh I think that just by saying like being open to different experiences um and open to different um opportunities has actually given me the majority of my career growth like mm. so um, you know, the same sort of thing happened. Like, so I went to the intensive care and again, I found it was that next level of like career home for me. Like I found, you know, again, like a lot of like complexity, um, you know, a lot of challenge, you know, using your brain, um, but also really caring for families and children at a really difficult time. And, you know, I I know that I'm somebody who has a lot of empathy and compassion and I felt like I could really channel that like in this area really well to give, um, You know, families a lot of support and children a lot of support through this really difficult, you know, time in their lives when they're in intensive care. Um, And I think, you know, I'm just really passionate about doing it when I was there. So like I put a lot of, you know, my heart and soul into my job. And I think that because of that, you know, people offered and extended me, um, you know, opportunities, you know. So my first, I suppose, jump in my career after I got to the intensive care was when, um, they actually were doing a, a mission to Vietnam where they were opening up a, a paediatric hospital doing congenital heart surgery and they needed some people to come along and um, provide education to the nurses. And I got offered the chance to do that. And so, you know, as I said, look, I say yes to things. So I was like, yes that sounds like a wonderful opportunity. Um, I've never done education before, but if you think that I'm capable of it, you know, this was a senior colleague who taught the postgrad course, and I thought if she's offering this to me, then, yeah. you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put myself in an uncomfortable position, but I'm sure that it'll be worthwhile, you know. Um, so, yeah, we went over there with some really great um, clinicians, you know, people that are really respected, um, and it just blew my mind, obviously, like going to a, a country which has such a different health system, to Australia for one, um, but I think it really made me realize: oh, actually, I can do this. I can. I've my first education experiences with people who don't speak the same language as me, and yeah. you know, I've walked away with it a with a positive experience. And so I'm gonna like I'm gonna take the next opportunity that comes to me to follow that education pathway. So um, you know, when a position came up to be a um, you know a clinical support nurse of you know in intensive care at the bedside for other nurses. I, I basically applied for that job and then, you know, started my, you know, I suppose, uh, career through education from that point. Um, so, yeah, I think it's been a lot of, um, yeah, just being open to possibilities and um, saying yes to opportunities. And even though there might be that element of self-doubt going, are you, can you do this? Are you, mm. you know, do you have the ability to do this? Um, I think trusting that, you know, if I give myself the opportunity to try at least and then if I can't do it then oh no, and then you know uh, we can try something else
0: but that, yeah um, that's interesting because that seems to be quite a recurrent theme when I speak to people for the podcast whether it's yep. in healthcare or even some of the consultants here they the one thing that they always say, because I always ask about career progression and why did you do what you did? They said a lot of the time it, it is about them just saying yes to things. And my okay. mom, my mum's actually said to me so many times, if someone ever offers you a job and you're not sure if you can do it, say yes and then figure it out as you go. <laughs> because a lot of the time... <laughs> yeah, when it's literally off- what
1: we're doing. Yeah, a lot of the
0: times <laughs> yeah. when you're offered the job, whoever's the senior person obviously thinks you can do it. They're not going to yes. offer you the job if they don't think you can do it. So if you have that doubt and obviously see people know about imposter syndrome Uh, Mm. so many people get it 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 is about just saying yes jumping in two feet and then and then just seeing what happens because nine times out of ten you do end up surprising yourself and your capabilities and what you actually do know especially when you're Mm. put in a position where you probably have to think a little bit outside the box of what you would normally do in your current role if that makes sense
1: yes no it absolutely does i think like You know you can't sort of grow and progress unless you challenge yourself so you know sometimes yeah you are jumping into some shoes that you might feel are a little bit too big for you um but you're not going to ever learn how to fill them unless you start to develop those skills so you know i think you just have to be honest with yourself about that too and like to other people to say you know i feel like I've, i've got a really good grasp on this part of you know this role but um In this area, I don't. So, you know, what do I need to do to get on top of it or, you know, get the exposure or the experience or who do I need to partner with to, you know, progress myself in that area? So, you know, just being honest with yourself, you know, I suppose can help as well, yeah.
0: 100%. Um, And speaking of stepping out, out of your comfort zone, you've started um, your own business. You're director of Peds, and um, mm-hmm. obviously, you've been working in in pediatrics. You've been working in Children's Hospital, but can you just give us a, an insight into what exactly this business is, and how, yeah. and how are you affecting the healthcare ecosystem as well?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so look. I spent quite a bit of time in the intensive care and I did a few different um, education roles and even some quality and safety ones. And um, and then I had um, my children. So I've got three children. Um, and then with each child, you know, I've, I took time off, you know, which was maternity leave and then went back. And so sort of, you know, was in and out of motherhood and career at the same time. So, you know, I suppose at that point, like it's not that my career didn't grow, but it's just sort of like um, sort of stayed where it was at um, and that was fine, like I was really happy with, you know, doing that. Um, but I suppose with my last child who I had um, actually in the start of the first lockdown for COVID, and she's my third child, um, what I sort of really realised with one of my other colleagues in that period of time is that um, access to that specialist paediatric knowledge is something that doesn't really get exported outside of children's hospitals very often or very easily. Um, And, you know, originally we were sort of thinking uh, mostly uh, in the healthcare sector, you know, like, so some of our smaller regional hospitals being able to have access to, you know, that more complicated paediatric knowledge and background. Um, But uh, eventually, like, we sort of began thinking, I suppose, beyond that to, you know, our work in intensive care is very reactionary. Like we're looking after children who've already had accidents and whose disease process has already rendered them, you know, in need of very advanced treatment. Um, What about if we could take our skills and knowledge all the way back to the start of that, you know, to the parents and the carers of children to empower them with the knowledge and skills to know what to do and to prevent those things from happening. Or if they do happen um responding appropriately and effectively maybe we could prevent kids from even rocking up to hospital you know maybe we could you know really make a an imprint and a reduction in you know the mortality rates of children and I know that sounds like a really big (laughs) a big task but I suppose you know as I've sort of said like I think I've developed this uh, like um passion for aiming big and then you know wherever I get to um is going to be worthwhile so you know the journey that we are on is you know going out and delivering a variety of different education you know to parents to carers um to grandparents to aunties and uncles um and with every single person that gets that education you know there will be a ripple effect from that so I feel like it still could be achievable yeah yeah
0: it's, it's almost a, a shoot for the star, land on the moon kind of thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. Game big. Yeah. And if
0: we, if we get to the moon, that is more than we expected. Exactly.
1: It's more than we are now. And, yeah. you know, and I actually had someone say to me once, like, because I was like talking about this and it actually was a um, a medical colleague who was like, so what, you, you want to improve the outcomes of all children? And I was like, yeah, yes. like every single child. And <laughs> of he's course. like, that's not really achievable. And I was like, well, why not? Why isn't it achievable? I, I yeah, think, you know. exactly i think
0: we can do it oh 100 if if you have the belief that you can then it, it will happen and you're obviously quite a new business so um with time and consistency you you will get there um but in terms of do you have an example of i guess a scenario that you probably have come across in the hospital where you thought this could have been prevented at home if they had known how to deal with this particular situation
1: Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot. And I think, you know, and even, you know, in the news, like I read articles, news articles, um, you know, actually just yesterday, um, a mother was speaking to me, you know, I was actually out in, in a rural um, centre of in Australia, I was delivering um, a first aid course to um, the community in Shepparton. And um, a mother came up and, and explained to me that there's been a, a recent um, death of a ten year old boy from a quad bike
0: oh.
1: um, accident, um, and you know this is actually something you know that's we we know in healthcare quad bikes in particular really dangerous um, on farms, a vehicle that farmers like need for a certain type of. Um, you know, things that they're doing, like it's really versatile. It can get into smaller places, but it also has a really, like, low centre of gravity, so it, like, tips over really easily. So if you've got a child operating it, um, you can see that they could really lose control of that, and if it fell on them, it causes, like, you know, life-threatening injuries, if not death. Um, So whenever I hear of things like that and I think of, you know, like that's a preventable death, you know, like that is something that could be prevented through different management strategies and awareness, you know. So there's certainly situations like that. Um, And then, you know, there's also situations where, you know, just, um, you know, parents being able to, I think, trust their instincts. Because a lot of the time, you know, we might have a child who's who's really sick and they've said, you know, I thought they were really unwell. And I kept going back to the doctor um, and they kept telling me it was fine, but I knew that something was wrong. And so I think, you know, some of the work that we do with parents is around helping them form those instincts into the patterns and communicate that in a way that's received by healthcare professionals in a meaningful way. Because sometimes it's about what we're saying and what we're like, as a parent, they're seeing the pattern, you know, they're seeing the change in their child's behaviour and that's information that's important to them and then that needs to be communicated in a certain way to healthcare professionals for them to listen and go yes this is serious and we need to do further investigation. so you know I think it's that as well that we're trying to bridge a gap you know between um, you know we're mothers so we know what that's like with our children and we're also you know we're clinicians so we also know what it's like in terms of how we communicate.
0: Yeah Yeah. and is there Is there anything that you can tell me that's quite exciting about what you're doing at the moment within PEDS? And what's yeah. your and your overall, I guess, goal for the future with, with this business, whether it's the growth or whether it's the reach and um, whether it's the education, staffing, what, what's kind of the, the idea behind moving forward future-wise? Because obviously you would have started this during COVID or just before? Yeah, pretty
1: much. Yeah, yeah, we pretty much have started it during COVID. So like we had the concept before, but, you know, it, would, it had sort of tried to, hit our stride and then COVID hit so um look I think um we're I think the last year has been um so I I do this with um my colleague Sarah so she's my co-director and she's also a pediatric intensive care nurse and I think she and I have really figured out who we are in this last year so it's really been about like what You know who really are we we know we know that we are about pediatrics and we're about health outcomes but you know what does that mean for us because there's obviously other people out there who are providing you know baby and child first aid courses who are providing education but what what have we got you know that's different so I think we've really formulated that now and solidified that so now that we've got that um really uh, that awareness ourselves um, we're really trying to um, promote, I think, in the in rural and regional areas, that sort of health promotion because we know that children who are in those areas have got like almost twice uh, as high mortality rate than metropolitan children. So we definitely want to focus in on that area. And the other thing that we really want to focus in on is children who've got comorbidities. So we're we're doing a lot of training for carers who look after. Um, children in their homes who might have you know advanced medical needs so they might have a tracheostomy um, they might be peg fed um, on oxygen you know being able to give them um, really great training skills and knowledge so that the parents can feel that they can go have a shower they can go to the supermarket they can go out for dinner and they know that someone's looking after their child you know who's got a really good strong level of training and will be able to recognize and respond to Um, anything that might happen, um, you know, whilst they're in their care and keep them really safe. Um, So, yeah, I think we're really going to focus in on those areas and try and grow those areas. And um, I think brand awareness is probably our thing that we need to think about now, you know, just letting people know that we exist and this is what we do. Yeah.
0: And in terms of brand brand awareness, what is it that you're you're doing at the moment? Do you have someone working for you within marketing or someone within social media?
1: (laughs) It's literally me and Sarah. Like we, yeah, we've 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 brought this um, business like come off the smell of an oily rag. Like it literally has just been (laughs) me and her working really hard. Yeah. Um, And no, we don't employ anybody. Like it's just me and her. Like googling. YouTubing, you know, whatever we can to learn what we can. Um, you know, look, I, I hope one day that we have a budget to be able to do those sort of things. Um, but at the moment we are literally just pounding the pavement. You know, we're talking to people, we're meeting people, um, just trying to raise awareness about about who we are and, you know, get on the radar so that, you know, if someone's like uh, you know, want to learn more about uh, how to manage uh, a certain thing? I know Peds exists, and they mm-hmm. can, you know, they can provide that service. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably where we're going to focus in on now because I think we're really happy with what we what we've got and what we offer, yeah. um, but people don't really know about us.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah just to touch on what you offer because I want people just to know exactly what that is what what are what kind of things do you offer and when it comes to the education part of your business that's I guess different to what's what's out there in terms of first aid and stuff like that
1: Mm. yeah well I think the main thing is that we're really pediatric focused so um so we can provide like for workplaces who look after children, we can provide a really paediatric focused wo- uh, first aid course for them. So, you know, the usual first aid courses that you get are very adult focused, um, but we can come in and give you that paediatric background. Um, if you're a parent or a carer of a child, we can give like a basic baby and child first aid course, like what's normal, what's not, you know, how to manage accidents, illnesses and injuries. But then if you've got a child with complex medical needs, we can deal with that as well. Like, so if you mm. find out that you're pregnant with a child who's got a congenital heart defect and you want to know what you need to know for them then we have you know we've got the background to be able to come in and really confidently answer all your questions you know and manage that really really um capably um, and then our third layer, I suppose, on that is then, yeah, also training for people who are then caring for children with those complex medical needs in the home. So, you know, um, you're taking your child home from hospital now, you know, they're, they were born uh, a little bit premature and they're coming home on oxygen and you want your sister to be able to look after them, but she doesn't know anything about it because, you know, she hasn't been able to be there for the training in the hospital, we can come in and fill that gap. So we can come in and give your sister the training that they need so that they can become a carer for your child. So I, we're trying to, I suppose, fill in those gaps that, you know, exist, you know, between the hospital and the home for a lot of people. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. That's, yeah, uh, it's, that's it's, incredible. It feels
1: good. It feels good yeah. doing it. Like I think, you know, we get a lot of that we feel like we're, we're doing something really important here. So, yeah.
0: You are. You are for but sure. It obviously
1: has to motivate us because, you know...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I imagine yeah. it does take a lot of motivation to keep going, especially when, for some reason, when, it, when it's children, there's always that heightened level of emotion even if the child isn't yours because they're just they're just so young they're they're so unaware of the world so everything I imagine because I I'm not doing what you do but I imagine every every single person that you speak to every single job that you do within this realm it always feels probably quite personal to you as well
1: yeah absolutely yeah there's always that element of like we're always like you know Sarah and I are both mothers and we're always going to have that so yeah. yes there's there's a there's two worlds that we live in I suppose yeah,
0: yeah. um so we've obviously know that you're a, a, a busy lady and you also have a not-for-profit um called the sisterhood project um and this is with your sister isn't it
1: yeah so yes. it's um it's still st- it's in a startup phase so okay. um it's something that came out of I suppose this work that I started doing um which was just a realization that uh the people who can access uh our uh, services at the moment either need to do that from their own pocket or if they've got ndis funding then that obviously would support them to access it as well yeah um so if we you know we've got this grand plan to improve outcomes for everybody you know all children so how do we get to people who don't have money you know who are socially disadvantaged and can't you know even afford they don't have cars or they can't even afford to, you know, to get on a bus, you know, these are barriers for people to access this. So how do we meet those barriers and address them? Um, and so, yeah, I approached my sister who's in communications who said that she always wanted to work for a not-for-profit. I'm like, hey, <laughs> well, why don't we start one and then you can work for that. So, yeah, amazing. Um, So yes, it's an I- the idea is that, you know, uh, the Sisterhood Project will apply for grants so that we can then fund places Uh, for, you know, parents who come from, you know, socially disadvantaged backgrounds to attend courses, which won't necessarily be with our business. It could be with anybody who's prepared to partner with the Sisterhood Project. So anybody who's delivering these courses could be, um, you know, asked to do it because, as I said, like, we would like to get as many people as possible. So, um, yeah, so we've just gone through the process of incorporating. So it's learning a whole new language. You know, starting up a not-for-profit is very different to starting up a business. I have learnt Um, So, yeah, we've gone through that um, process. So once that's all finalised, we can then apply to be a charity and we can then apply for grants. So, you know, hopefully within the next, you know, six months, that will be like a fully-fledged not-for-profit and we'll be able to, you know, start, um, you know, doing some of those things that we want to do in that space as well. Yeah.
0: So within the next six months, potentially of this becoming a fully-fledged project, what's probably the, the main thing, that you're going to need moving forward besides money?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, it probably just comes back to awareness again. You know, yeah. people just knowing that we exist and that we're out there because, you know, it's through those that network and connections that, you know, a lot of things evolve and take place. So, you know, I think our biggest barrier will be uh I don't actually think our money will be our barrier I think once we become a charity we'll be able to apply for grants and I think like I truly believe this is a noble cause so I think that that will translate um but I think you know engaging in this in in this particular community will be our challenge you know when we're dealing with vulnerable populations we have to do that in a really sensitive way um so how we do that um I think that will be our our challenge so yeah, I think part, probably partnering with, um, you know, groups that already have, who are already supporting them um, and trying to figure out a way that we can then, you know, capture people who've got an interest to coming along to courses and then enable that in a way that removes a lot of those financial barriers for them. Um, that'll be our next thing that we need to unpick and really figure out. But I think it's possible. we just got to, you know, put some time and effort into it. Yeah, 100%. Um,
0: yeah. And what, where, where can people find the Sisterhood Projects? I'm gonna add I'm in wim- the information on the podcast, but I just want you to let us know as well
1: awesome yeah well we're mainly just on socials at the moment we haven't quite got a web page up but hopefully eventually we will so on instagram it's uh the dot sisterhood project and then on facebook it's the dot sisterhood project 22 so um yeah so that's mainly where we sort of updating people and where we're at in terms of our journey to becoming a not-for-profit um and yeah hopefully the web page at some point but we've got um my brother-in-law working on that on a volunteer basis so (laughs) whenever he manages to to finish Love it.
0: it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're almost done, so I've just got two more questions. So, one is, um, what are your hopes for the future of healthcare?
1: Uh, future for healthcare, very uh,
0: wide look, question.
1: It is a bit wide. Um, look, it probably just aligns with what we're currently doing at the moment, though. Like, I think that, um, you know traditionally, you know, it's been very centralised, you know, so you go to a place to receive your healthcare, you know, to get treatment. Um, And I think that we can push it out and push it back a little bit more. And, you know, as like sort of what we're doing with PEDS is empowering people to have um, a lot more ownership over, you know, what they do from a prevention standpoint and also addressing, you know, um, their healthcare needs earlier and knowing the right way to do that. So, Um, You know, some of that we're trying to deal with in this space, but, you know, other areas that could be, you know, helping is, you know, around health advocacy, you know, around how people access the system and understand the system and how it works, you know, so that you don't have people falling through the gaps and you don't have, you know, um, people unaware of what their rights are and, um, you know, how best to seek help when they're, you know, um, experiencing health issues. Like, I think that, you know, we can empower people to take a lot more ownership um, over their own health. And, um, you know, that would make a huge difference on the healthcare system, even just reducing the burden on it, which is then going to obviously improve it, you know, overall anyway. Yeah.
0: I completely agree. I think that seems to be also another thing a lot of healthcare professionals have been saying that we need people to start taking more onus on their own health because then that will invertly take the pressure off, I guess, the frontline workers. And I think that's actually becoming more, more of a thing now. I think a lot more people are doing a lot more research into their bodies and their health and what they're actually eating and when they feel a certain if they feel a little bit lethargic on a Monday they're starting to look and think okay what did I eat yesterday or the day before Um, that may have possibly led me to feel like this today so I think there is that level of awareness that is slowly starting to build up but there is a need for it to probably go a little bit faster because as we all know that the frontline workers in healthcare in, in general is quite stretched and that seems to be mm. quite a quite a thing in many different countries it's like this here it's like that like that in the UK it's like that in the States as well um, so I think all all healthcare workers have that exact same hope I guess yeah. which yeah. is good which is good that we're, we're all aligned um, mm. in some way and then just to finish off could you give me three tips um, for someone who may be interested in taking taking a similar route to you um, within healthcare as a, as a nurse?
1: Um, look, probably my first one would just be, yeah, remain open to the opportunities that get presented to you. Like, you know, don't automatically shut something down because you hadn't considered it before. Um, because you never know, it might lead you to the exact right place where you're meant to be. Um, and then, yeah, look and challenge yourself. Like, so be prepared to get out of where you feel comfortable, you know, where you think, um, you're meant to be so acknowledging that sometimes you might step into roles that you don't feel like you're fully equipped for um, but acknowledging your strengths and weaknesses and you know communicating what you can and can't do can sometimes be part of the learning process for you to be able to fulfill that role Um, and probably my last tip is just you know listen to your instinct in terms of like how comfortable you feel doing something you know like if you go into If you've you've set in your mind up something that you expected you were going to be doing and then you go into that area and you go, no, this doesn't feel right, I'm not happy here, then, you know, listen to that as well. Like, it's not all over. You know, nursing is such a varied... Profession, there are so many different, you know, subspecialties and specialties to, you know, explore and grow from. So don't feel like just because you were convinced you're going to be a psych nurse that, you know, when you went and did that rotation and it didn't work out, that that's, you know, game over for you because there's so many different things you can do you know look I'm married to a nurse as well and you know um he's ended up in the emergency department you know after many different rotations through lots of varieties of different um places so you know uh, so he didn't find his niche straight away like me like he spent you know several years going through many different wards and specialties so yeah don't you know pigeonhole yourself either you know those probably be my top three tips yeah
0: perfect well thank you very, very, very much Grace for that interview, that was amazing. Um, the work that you're doing um, with PEDS um, and also within Medcast as well is um, something to be looked at very, very fondly. Um, you've found a gap within the space in healthcare that needs to be looked at and. I can tell by how you speak about it and, and how you come across in camera that there is that, a crazy passion there for it. But I just want to say thank you very much for sitting down with us today um, and for giving us some of your time from your busy schedule.
1: Oh, well, thanks so much for having me and letting me go on and on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> thank you. <laughs>